It's more exciting than you guys make it sound. Um, <laughs> we're, we're going through 1 Timothy this summer, and actually we're only going to get through the first three chapters this summer. That might seem a bit slow, but that's happening for a very specific reason, which I'll get to in a bit. But tonight we're just going to cover the first few verses of this letter that Paul wrote to this guy named Timothy. So we're going to start to get to know who Timothy is. And I don't mean Tim Grimmett. I mean this Timothy in the Bible. Watch out for Tim, dude. He, he got me pretty good during Frisbee last night. I thought I was going to have a black eye. Uh, yeah. So he says. So tonight we're just going to start to get to know who this guy Timothy is. And hopefully we'll get an idea of why we're, we're going through this book this summer. Uh, so read with me in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. Uh, we'll read the first four verses. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they should teach, or that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. So, like in all of Paul's letters, he starts this one by saying who the letter is written from. Obviously, that's himself. And he says who the letter is written to. And in this case, it's written to Timothy. And this one is different than most of Paul's letters because it's written to a person. Most of Paul's letters are written to churches. You've got 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and, and Hebrews, I threw that one in for free. Those are all written to groups of people. Uh, most of them are written to churches. And only a few of Paul's letters are written to a specific person. You've got First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. So you might be thinking, why are we reading through Timothy's mail? Why are we going through <laughs> his mail? Why are we digging through his mailbox? And technically, yes, historically, what Paul wrote here was intended for Timothy But God chose to include Timothy's mail in Scripture for a reason. And as we start to see who Timothy was, where he came from, and what he was tasked with doing, it'll start to make sense why Paul's letters to Timothy are so important for us today. So let's start by looking at point number one, Timothy's roots. And that's what we see in the first three verses. At this point in history, Timothy was clearly acquainted with Paul uh, and his ministry. Paul even calls him my own son in the faith. And in verse 3, he says, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. So there's a relationship there. So what got Timothy to this point? Where did he come from? We're going to break this down into three stages uh, so we can get an idea of how Timothy got to be where he was when Paul wrote this letter. It'll establish a background and and an understanding of the context for this entire book. Uh, So let's start with letter A, before Paul. The Bible actually tells us a little bit about Timothy before he met Paul. Um, And so we're going to be jumping around here, but the verses will be on the screen. Uh, Let's read in Acts 16, uh, verses 1 through 2. Uh, This is where Timothy gets introduced. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. So Timothy was either from Derby or, or Lystra, Lystra. I'm, I'm not sure which one of those two he was from, but he was from one of them. And his full name was Timotheus, which is way cooler than Timothy 
if you ask me. But his mom was a Jewess. That just means she was a Jewish lady. And his father was a Greek, and that means his father was a Gentile. So he had this mixed family background with different religious traditions. But his Jewish mother believed, meaning she believed in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for humanity's sins. His dad, we don't know that much about him. The Bible doesn't tell us much. But we can see that Timothy had a good reputation around Lystra and Iconium, and he was well reported of by the brethren. And we can see more about his upbringing uh, when he was younger in 2 Timothy, uh, specifically verses, or verse, or chapter 1, verse 5. It says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So he's got this grandmother Lois, and he's got this mother named Eunice, and both of them had faith. And that upbringing led to him having faith as well. And again, we don't hear very much about his father, so at the very least, it's safe to assume that his father didn't have much to do with Timothy's spiritual upbringing. That's not to say he was a bad guy. Who knows? But Paul attributed Timothy's early spiritual development to his mother and grandmother. And 2 Timothy 3.15 tells you more about that. It says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So, since he was a child, Timothy had been taught the scriptures, presumably by his mother and grandmother who had faith. So he was already on his way by the time Paul met him in Acts 16. But Paul didn't just meet him in Acts 16. This was the beginning of their relationship. Paul took Timothy under his wing, and they became partners in ministry. So let's look at Timothy with Paul. That's letter B. Don't forget, Paul had some pretty strong language about Timothy in our passage. 1 Timothy 1-2 says, Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. He calls him his own son. We can see uh, in the beginning of 2 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Paul calls him my dearly beloved son. That's some pretty strong language. Like, you don't just walk around and say, you know, this is my son, unless, unless it's, it's your, your son. Um, but clearly, Paul was Jewish, so he wasn't, Peter, or he wasn't Timothy's father because Timothy's father was a Gentile. Now, normally, when Paul calls someone a son, he means that he led that person to the Lord. That may be the case here, but, but I'm not really sure. In Acts 16, Timothy's already called a disciple before Paul even met him. So Paul calling him a son may, just indica- may indicate that Paul led him to Christ, but it may just be referring to Paul discipling and teaching him how to minister. That's not outside the realm of possibilities. We just know that Timothy, or we just don't know Timothy's salvation story, but, but he was taught the scriptures from the early age. His mother was a Jewess who believed, so it wouldn't surprise me if Timothy was a believer before he met Paul. There would have been opportunity for him to hear the gospel through the scriptures and, and from his mother and grandmother. But either way, Paul called Timothy his son. In Romans sixteen twenty one, he calls him his work fellow, so they worked together. Philippians 1.1 1, 1 says Paul and Timothy were servants of Jesus Christ. So they served the Lord together. Paul taught him how to be a minister. But even from the very beginning of their relationship, Timothy had the right attitude about his ministry. Look back at Acts 16, uh, verses 3 through 5, are still talking about Timothy. It says, him would Paul have to go forth with him. So Paul was going to take him with him and to, to do ministry with him. And took and circumcised him, 
because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. So they knew his dad was a Greek, but they were trying to reach Jewish people. So Paul circumcised him. Ouch. (laughs) Verse 4, And they went through the cities, and they delivered them decrees for to keep, and they were ordained that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. So Timothy was willing to be circumcised so he could minister to the Jews. At the time, those Jews weren't going to listen to anyone who wasn't Jewish. And Timothy's dad was a Gentile, and they knew that. That made Alex so uncomfortable, he's leaving. (laughs) (laughs) So in order to actually be able to reach them, Timothy had to be circumcised. He had to become as a Jew so he could witness to them. That's an incredibly painful thing to experience as a teenager or an adult. That's why they do it when they're children and they're too young to remember how bad that hurts. He was just putting into practice what Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9 when he said in verse 20, And unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law as without the law being not without the law to God but under the law to Christ that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. So Timothy had that attitude from the very beginning of his relationship with Paul. Paul's like, hey dude, we got to go witness to these people. Timothy's like, yeah, let's go. All right, we got to do something first. (laughs) Um, But Timothy did it. That's what he did. He went with Paul, even when it meant he had to be uncomfortable. But together they saw the gospel spread and churches established. But like all good things, their work together eventually came to an end. And that brings us to letter C, after Paul. And we can actually see that in our passage in 1 Timothy 1.3. It says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia. So they parted ways. After, after Paul spent all that time with Timothy, teaching him and ministering with him, Paul leaves him in a position of leadership at the church of Ephesus. He transfers ministry responsibility and makes Timothy a pastor of that church. Timothy apparently grew to the point where Paul knew he could trust him with that level of responsibility. So let's talk about that responsibility. And that's point number two, Timothy's responsibility. Now, throughout 1 and 2 Timothy, Paul charges Timothy with a lot of responsibility. But you can pretty much sum all of it up in the first few verses that we're looking at tonight. Verses, uh, look at verses 3 and 4. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. So Paul tells Timothy to do two things at that church in Ephesus. First, he tells him to letter A, make sure only sound doctrine is taught. Again, he says that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. And the obvious implication from from Paul's other writings is that he's wanting Timothy to make sure that no other doctrine is taught other than sound doctrine. Paul mentions sound doctrine a lot. If you look up that phrase in scripture, you're going to see Paul talking about it a lot. 1 Timothy 1.10 says, For whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, 
for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So stuff that's contrary to sound doctrine, you don't, you don't want that in your church. You don't want it taught. You don't want it happening. Uh, you just don't want it. And doctrine, simply defined, is just what is true. And sound doctrine is just truth that is sound or logically consistent, coming from the right source. And Paul tells us why sound doctrine is so important to us in Titus 1.9. It says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So you get that sound doctrine by holding fast the faithful word. So if you want sound doctrine, you hold on to that book in your hand. That's the source of truth that we know is sound. And as long as we stick to that, we're going to do okay. So if you want to exhort, if you want to build others up and help them out, you need sound doctrine to do it. And if you want to convince the gainsayers, if you want to contend for the faith, you need sound doctrine to do it. That's why he says later in Titus 2.1, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Now, that doesn't mean that everything you say automatically becomes sound doctrine. Like if, if Nick Roth gets up here and says vanilla is the best flavor of ice cream, that doesn't just automatically become sound doctrine. We don't typically... <laughs> you do think vanilla is the best, right? I mean, I don't know if I'd say that extremist statement like in front of people, but I guess I just did. Um, we don't typically use the word become like this anymore, but if you watch Victorian type shows like, like Trisha likes to watch, you know, if ladies are all prim and proper and one of them says a curse word or something, everyone in the room gasps like, that's not very becoming of a lady such as yourself. Like they use the word becoming uh, to refer to something that's, that's a level of appropriateness or suitability. The Bible uses the word like that too. Ephesians 5.3 says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. So in this context, it's appropriate for believers that fornication, uncleanness, or covetousness isn't named among them. That's what's appropriate. That's what's suitable. So when we're told to speak the things which become sound doctrine, it just means we're supposed to speak the things that are appropriate for or suitable to sound doctrine. And that's something that becomes more and more difficult as, as time goes on and this world changes and gets worse and worse. 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 4 says, Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So as time goes on, people will want the truth less and less. They won't endure sound doctrine. They don't want it. They'll want fables more and more. It's not that they don't, they don't want to learn things. They're just not interested in what God has to say. They're going to want to learn other things that aren't sound doctrine. And that brings us to the second thing Paul tells Timothy, letter B, make sure distractions don't get in the way. And he says, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. And for all intents and purposes, you can say fables are essentially the opposite of doctrine. Doctrine is truth. Fables are made up. 
But sometimes fables seem like more fun than doctrine to some people, and fables rarely ask anything of you, whereas doctrine frequently requires you to change your life for the Lord. So people more and more will turn from doctrine to fables. But those fables only create more questions. They don't actually edify you. They don't actually equip you or build you up or get you ready to do anything. That's why 1 Timothy 4.7 says, But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. So sound doctrine is going to push people toward godliness, but fables aren't. In fact, fables are actually harmful. If you look at Titus 1.14, it says, Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. They actually turn you from the truth. So what is a fable as opposed to something that's becoming to sound doctrine? Well, anything that turns you from the truth could qualify. A lot of fables even sound like Christian things. Stuff like the prosperity gospel. The idea like, that, you, that if you really follow the Lord, he'll make you rich with money and material possessions. That's not sound doctrine. In fact, it turns you from sound doctrine. Or, or the full gospel that charismatic churches teach. The idea that if you're really following God, then you'll be speaking in tongues or healing people or, or stuff like that. The Bible doesn't say that. Don't, don't turn yourself to fables. Or the need to perform certain sacraments or doing penance for your sins like the Catholic Church teaches. The idea that if you want to stay right with the Lord, you have to do certain works on a regular basis. That's going to distract you. The list of fables really can go on and on. But that's all this stuff is. It's fables. It's not sound doctrine. So don't get distracted by stuff like that. Stick to the sound doctrine that you find in that book. You want what godly edifying, or you want that godly edifying that verse 4 talks about? That comes from faith. And faith comes from hearing the word of God. That's why we study. 2 Timothy 2.14 says, Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of, of the hearers. And then verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's what we're going to do throughout 1 Timothy this summer. We're going to see things that comprise sound doctrine. And we're going to see how to overcome the fables so that we don't get caught up believing them or being distracted by them. And we're going to see how we can help one another stick to that. Because that's what Paul was doing with Timothy. He wrote this letter to encourage him and to remind him of some things that he needed to keep in mind as he led the church at Ephesus. But we'll find that the things he wrote to Timothy are also going to be critical for us to keep in mind as well. And as we wrap up this brief introduction to, to Timothy, you might be thinking, hey, Timothy was a pastor. I'm not a pastor. What does any of this have to do with me? And that's an understandable question because there is a lot to learn in Timothy's mail about being a pastor. So pastors or, or guys looking to be pastors someday would, would do well to take what these letters say to heart. But please understand that pastors are not the only people who have spiritual responsibility in the church. We all have our roles and responsibility in, accompanying, in accomplishing God's mission to reach the world with the other members of our local church. And we're all adults now, so it's, it's time we understand that responsibility and we, we take it seriously. And understanding that can really shed some light on just how important that stuff that Paul tells to Timothy can be for all of us, not just for pastors. Because if everybody can get on the same page about how a church should be led, pastors, deacons, members, everybody, then as a church, we can really start to do some awesome things for the Lord because we can all be doing what we're supposed to be doing with the motivations that we're supposed to be having. And that's what this summer is about, figuring out where we are, each one of us, 
with the Lord in our own personal walk with him and figuring out what our next steps with him are so that we can continue growing and becoming more effective ministers for him. Because when it comes right down to it, like I said, we're all adults, so it's time for each of us to make sure that we're taking our personal responsibility to serve the Lord seriously. And our study this summer is gonna highlight some pretty specific ways we can really start to understand and own that responsibility. And with that said, the well... Tuesday nights is going to look a little different this summer than it has for the last few months. You're actually not going to be hearing much from me this summer. Uh, Try to contain your excitement. (laughs) You are going to be hearing from 10 or so guys who are working their way through MTT or LFBI, guys who come here every week. Uh, You're going to be hearing from them. Some of them have taught in settings like this before. Some of them haven't. Some of them have taught adults before. Some of them may have only taught children up to now. Some of them may have never taught another person a thing in their life. Some of them are going to do great. Some may stumble over their nervousness, but that's okay because this summer is a chance for them to cut their teeth on teaching and learn from the experience of getting up here and doing it. After all, this whole summer, the whole study that we're doing is, is covering our own personal responsibility in ministry, so I thought it would be extremely fitting to give some of the teaching responsibility to others especially to some of the guys who haven't had the chance to do it yet. So each week, we're going to go through about a 20-minute devotion on a short passage in 1 Timothy. That's why we're only getting through the first three chapters, because we're breaking them down into a couple of verses a week. And then we'll break up in discussion groups to discuss how we can apply what we learned from the passage together. Because again, we're talking about our personal responsibility in our own ministry and in our church. And the stuff we're going to talk about is only going to stick if we're in this together, helping one another out in our walks with Christ. So Timothy, as the pastor of the church of Ephesus, was the primary guy responsible for the members of that church. But even though we have pastors over different ministries at our church who are all responsible for our growth, we have to understand that we as brothers and sisters in Christ are responsible for one another as well. You don't have to be a pastor for that to be true. Hebrews 10, uh, verses 23 through 25 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. And I've been going back to that verse for the last year plus now, like pretty regularly, as ye see the day approaching. Our world's pretty weird, and our world is only getting weirder. Jesus is going to come back soon to fix it. That day is approaching, and as we see that day approaching, we have to take our responsibility toward one another seriously. We have to consider one another, provoking one another unto love and to good works. If the world isn't, because the world isn't going to do us any favors, And if we can't count on one another, who can we count on? So let's spend this summer taking our responsibility seriously by helping one another apply what we learn uh, and helping one another grow. This is going to be a fun summer. We've got a lot going on. It's going to be a good time, and I hope you're looking forward to what God's going to do here as much as I am. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much just for your word and for, man, the encouragement we can find in it and just the motivation we can find to to just stick to your word and stick to sound doctrine so that we can know the truth. God, we know you're not the author of confusion and we know you, you inspired scripture and you preserved it for us so that we can know who you are and we can know what you say. And so God, I just pray that this summer uh, we would just 
learn more about what you say and how it applies to our lives so that, so that we, can we, we can become more like Christ uh, the way you want us to be. And so, Lord, I pray that as that happens, we would just figure out our own personal responsibilities in ministry and, and our own roles in, in the church around us so that, so that we can help accomplish the Great Commission. We can help reach the world with your, with your gospel. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.